Welcome to the Detroit Tigers Minor League Tracker Podcast. I'm your host, Keenan Carter, rejoined by my partner in crime, Eric Hostetter. Hoss, what's happening, my friend? Well, not too much. Just uh, trying to stay dry out here. I'm, uh, I'm not used to getting all this rain out here in Southern California, so uh, trying to adapt a little bit, you know, back to my upbringing. Yeah. And, uh, you know. But uh, we need it badly, so I'll take it. That's right. Joining us from Thousand Oaks, California, the land of Sparky Anderson. That's right. Exactly. We can both agree uh, one of the most influential baseball minds of both of our lives. Yeah, yeah. I haven't talked to you in a while. It's been glorious. Um, yeah, no. Thank goodness. Um, and my, my voice has been coming and going for like a month now. It's, it's, it's a little raspy, but uh, I'm a gamer. We're gonna we're gonna push forward here. I'm I'm like the the Cam Gibson of the Tigers podcasting community. Just pencil, just pencil me in the lineup every day, and I'll bring it. Um, so we got a couple guests tonight. There's been some some new guys on the scene. Uh, one of them is uh, Corporal Eddie at Corporal Eddie on Twitter. Dave Eddie with Prospects 1500. He's the guy I intend to have on here in the coming weeks. Uh, but the fellows we got here tonight are from an outfit called Baseball Farm. So uh, with that, I'd like to, to welcome Brendan Gorzelski and Alex Jensen to the show for the first time. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Sam. So Alex, uh, look, joining us from Seattle, Washington, right? Uh, University of Washington grad, the land of Tuiasa Sopos. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I've played against at least seven Tuiasa Sopos in my high school days. Yeah, so... <laughs> It's it's funny because this is probably like the tenth episode I've done, and that's the second two Yasasopo reference we've had. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I I also played against um, Marcus Two Yasasopo in a 1990-something uh, World Series when we were 14 years old. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> but uh, good to have you on, Alex. Do we do we call you Juice Juice Man? What do we call you? Uh, you can go by Alice or Juicy. I'll respond to either one. Juicy. Definitely Juicy. Juicy it is. <laughs> All right, and your partner in crime, Brendan Gorzelski, joining us from Atlanta, uh, the land of Daz Cameron, Kelvin Smith, quite a few other prospects down there. Brendan, how's it going, man? Doing well, Keenan. Uh, just excited to talk to Tigers prospects. I mean, I grew up a big Tigers fan, so it's, I'm excited to get on a podcast to talk about these guys. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure which one of you wants to take this question, but who are you guys? And how did you end up on the scene here? <laughs> That's a good question. Brian recruited me to the site, so I'll let him take it first. All right. <laughs> that is true. I recruited Juicy off of Reddit, of all things. He was doing some things there. He was doing some minor league shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But uh, Baseball Farm... I got recruited to Baseball Farm in the summer, probably about June or July, I think. I got recruited. I was doing a similar thing. I was writing. I did wrote a couple things for Reddit, first couple things for uh, Wander Franco and Christian Pache uh, profiles, and I got recruited on. Baseball Farm is a uh, analytical data prospect website. We try to look at a uh, the data side of things when it comes to prospects. And me and Juicy have been adding more of a scouting 
compliment to uh, the, dat- the data stuff that Bill Goyat and Chip Bourne have been set the site up for. It's a great site. We're growing tremendously, especially in the last couple of months, honestly, ever since I recruited Juicy on. I think we've been really growing. So we're excited for a big 2019. Fantastic. Yeah, it's good to have you guys on. I see you working hard out there, and, and um, I've enjoyed rapping with you guys on Twitter. So uh, I can tell you know what you're talking about. And uh, looking forward to it as well. Want to talk a minute about Haas's red legs? Um, my colleague over at Bless You Boys, Ashley McLennan, she's at 90 feet from home on Twitter. Sent something out um, the other day. It was a tweet I thought was apropos for this conversation. And sh- what she said was, "Just because you don't, or just because you won't win, doesn't mean you shouldn't try." An open letter to all baseball teams. And then in parentheses, she put, "Except maybe the Reds, who get it." So, Haas, your Reds have been active this offseason when it, it, it's been an uncharacteristically quiet offseason for, well, I guess two seasons in a row now. Nobody's really doing anything. But your Reds are getting after it, my friend. Yeah, pretty excited, actually. I, I mean, you know, listen, when you go, you guys are familiar with this, all too familiar. We're, we're in the same boat uh, most years, I suppose, uh, of recent and you go four seasons losing 90 plus games a year it, it uh man really wears on you and uh you know the 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 fan in you deep down really wants stuff like this to eventually happen so uh really excited and uh, you know I, I the NL Central is a beast so we'll see exactly what it translates to but uh you know Really, as long as you, like she said, as long as you're trying, uh, you're giving hope to fans, you're giving hope to uh, the players in the clubhouse, you know, there's no way you can argue that. So uh, it's been great to see them, you know, make changes not only on the roster, but, you know, completely overhauling the coaching staff, uh, really adding uh, adding several front office positions that never existed in Cincinnati. So it's not just the players that they're, that they're, you know, adding and, and uh, the trades that they're making, but they've really kind of overhauled, you know, the way that they're operating. And uh, that's a, another level of respect that I'm gaining for the organization. So it is pretty exciting. And listen, anytime you can, anytime you can get, anyone for a guy who starts 20 games and wins one of them um, and and makes $21 million in order to do so, uh, I'm in on that. Oh, man. So we've had two two Yasusopo references, and now that's our second Homer Bailey reference in our podcast oh. history. We're, we're, uh, we're going backwards. Um, but, no, I mean, Ray, the Reds kicked it off with the, the Tanner for Tanner deal, right? Tanner mm-hmm. Rourke. And that's then, right. Um, the, the big splash with the Osseo Puig, um, and then Sonny Gray, right? Yeah, oh, exactly. And you mentioned your boy Alex Wood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, the, the pitching staff has been just in really an embarrassment for a long time in Cincinnati. So for them to pick up guys that uh, like Wood and Roark and and uh, Gray are. You know, those are the, those are immediately the three best pitchers that we've had since the Cueto days, and so you know we're looking at six, seven years since we've had a, any pitcher of that caliber, let alone likely three of them. So uh, 
Big stuff. Exciting yeah. stuff. And, you know, hey, will it translate into 90 wins? I doubt it. But uh, but at least it's not, you know, uh, teams coming into Cincinnati or looking at Cincinnati on their schedule and saying, hey, yeah, we got two or three, you know. So. Yeah, no, I think Sonny Gray is perfectly equipped to give up plenty of home runs in Great American Ballpark. Absolutely. Yeah. But, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't know that anybody out there isn't well-equipped to give up some bombs in that ballpark. So we'll, we'll see how the other statistics pan out uh, for these guys. But, yeah, everybody's going to give up their share of those uh, in, that, in that place. No, I mean, hey, obviously, you know, we're a Tigers podcast, and, and our, our management has essentially come out and told us we have no intention of even trying to win until 2021. Um, but, but we still want you to use mobile ticketing. <laughs> and come out to the ballpark. That was like their big news last week. Hey, we're we're driving everyone towards mobile ticketing. We're like, thanks to come see what kind of product. But uh, I don't know, Brendan. What do you what do you kind of think of what the what the Reds have done this off season? I I actually kind of like what they've done. I mean, it's better than what the Tigers have done, which is basically nothing. I think we signed Jody Mercer, and that was it. <laughs> but I like the Sunny Gray trade. Maybe he can recapture some of the magic he had with the A's. I mean, he had a 7 ERA at home at Yankee Stadium, but he was a, he had a 3-1-7 away from there. So, But not like Great American Ballpark is a much friendlier ballpark than Yankee Stadium is for a pitcher. So we'll see if that can get a little closer to his away numbers or not. The tweak trade, the biggest thing for the Dodgers there was just getting opening up some cap, cap room. I think they saved $17 million there. But, I mean, the Reds get Puig. They get Alex Wood. I'm not a huge Alex Wood fan, but I think he's I think he's an all right pitcher. And then they also got Kemp, which kind of fills out their outfield a little bit. Um, and then Rourke's another kind of four ERA guy with some decent strikeout totals to kind of help fill out the rotation. Reds should have a good offense this year. The pitching staff still needs some work. And they still have a lot of good prospects in the pipeline. So, I mean, the Reds could be a good team in the next couple of years with guys like Senzel, who should be up this year, India, who I really like, uh, Trammell, Hunter Green, et cetera. Yeah, outstanding. But, Brendan, the one, one guy I want to talk to uh, you about is somebody you're near and dear to your heart, and that's Casey Mize. So uh, tell us a little bit about your background and, and why you know so much about Mize, and then we can kind of dig into his profile. All right. So not only am I a huge Tigers fan, so of course I'm going to root for Mize, but I'm also a Auburn University alumnus, pretty recent graduate. So I got to watch Casey Mize his entire career at Auburn. And every time he took the – I watched a lot of his starts at Auburn, and every time he took the mound, it was just impressive. I was there for his no – his no-hitter against Northeastern, where I think he maybe walked one guy away. He was one walk away from a perfect game. This is a pitcher who is probably one of the most polished college pitchers to come through the draft that I have seen. Now, I'm relatively new to kind of evaluating prospects and that kind of thing. So, I, in all honesty, I think he might be the best college pitching prospect since maybe Strasburg, in, in my opinion. And I've shared this opinion – I don't know how much I've shared it on Twitter, but I've at least shared it with the baseball farm crew. I think Mize could have pitched in the majors last year if a team that drafted him really needed him in a, in a major league bullpen to help them down the stretch. I think he could have helped. 
this is a guy, this is a kid that has four above average to better pitches with a absolutely dirty splitter and easy delivery and pinpoint control. I mean, just listen to his strikeout to walk ratios in 2017, 2018, 2017, his sophomore year, 109 strikeouts to nine walks. And then in 2018, he only got better. 156 strikeouts to 16 walks. I mean, he's a machine that pounds the strike zone, and his stuff is too good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he throws a ball down the middle. It, it's hard. It's nearly impossible to square up. I'm sure my my partner uh, Juicy will agree with me. Mize is is a special special arm, and I'm really excited to wear. I'm really excited to see him wear the old English D. Hopefully, in 2020. So, um, uh, you know, I was reading your write-up. You, got, you, you can check out the uh, baseballfarm.com, the cream of the crop, Detroit Tigers top 20 farm hands uh, over on the website there. And I, and I was reading your write-up on Mize. One of the things in my internal circles um, where there's been some dispute about the grading of his pitches is the fastball in particular. Some of my cohorts, Brandon Day, Mark Garosh, um, they seem to think that fastball is more like a 50 grade. And... Um, I'm not sure. I only watched one game, and it was against Arkansas. And it seemed like a really good college team like Arkansas. I can't remember what they were ranked in the country, but they were a top-ten team, I think, at the time. They couldn't touch any of his secondaries. But anytime he threw a fastball, he seemed to catch a lot of zone, and they were barreling it up on him. Um, what do you, what do you, what's your feedback to that regarding his heater? Yeah, the fastball... The fastball might not be a plus pitch for him. I think it's 50-55. Just velocity range alone and his his control and command of the pitch. It's definitely one of those pitches. He's a guy that needs his secondaries to make the fastball play better. That's always been a thing for him. It's all about the splitter and the slider. And even in, in the cut fastball that he had in his uh, junior year, which is already getting grazed a plus pitch by a lot of people. And it's a it's a good pitch for him. So I can definitely see some maybe hesitance with the fastball, but when you throw in a splitter and a, and a slider that are both plus or plus plus in regards to the splitter, which can only great, get comps to, like, Roger Clemens. That's how good that splitter is. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that comp you made there um, on Clemens, and then um, – Alex, I think you comped him to Tanaka overall. Um, do you want to expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I'm not a huge comp guy, but to me, the comp to Tanaka pretty much just jumps off the bat to me. They're similar height, weight, similar pitch mix, and I think Tanaka is really an underrated pitcher. I think a lot of people are going to hear that and be a little upset and think that he doesn't have an ace upside, but Tanaka is consistently – if you go by fifth, a top 10 to 15 pitcher in the league, if not more, and that's playing hurt. Uh, similarly, with his similar stinker, he does have some forearm soreness issues, which is my only real concern with Mize. We haven't seen him throw over 140 innings in a year yet. In the last two years in a row, he's tended to fall off a little bit towards the end of the year, which showed up a bit at the end of last year, but... When you watch him towards the beginning of the season, he's just so overwhelmingly dominant. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you got a guy throwing 
93 to 97 miles an hour with good running light. They can mix in a good cutter, mix up the planes with a splitter, and throw in a nasty wipeout slider with great control. There's just not a lot of reasons to be concerned. No, I agree. And the thing I like most about your write-up and, and the reason that I'm, I'm high on Mize as well is you mentioned he's got four offerings and they all come out of the same arm slot, right? So even if that fastball grades out as a 50-pitch long-term, there's still four major league quality pitches or better. Um, and, and I and I, I like I agree with your assessment that the ceiling is that of a of a of an ace, a rotation ace, with a floor of being a mid rotation starter, a number three, right? So we expect him to, to land somewhere in between. He'll be a number two starter with the moderate risk due to the durability concerns you guys expressed. Um, so I would consider that uh, if he if he meets that expectation of, of a number two but with a twenty twenty ETA, that's uh that's a winning draft selection. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. Um, so we could talk about some Matt Manning, too, because the, the Manning bandwagon has, has grown significantly based on <laughs> some of the strides that he made in 2018. And I've talked about this a couple times on my podcast. Uh, when, I, when I saw Manning in April pitching uh, for the Whitecaps uh, in the Midwest League, he he looked a mess to me. Um, he looked like a thrower, not a pitcher. He obviously had good enough stuff where he could blow away Midwest League hitters with nothing but gas. And um, But I had serious concerns about his command overall. Not, not just his control, but his command. I figured once he got to the Florida State League and saw some little bit more advanced hitters, he wouldn't be able to get by on just fastballs. I was proven wrong. Um, his stuff dominated down there in the Florida State League. I saw him make Kirilov look foolish on a curveball. There's still some concerns with Manning with the curveball. He's got to get more consistent with it. Like when he when he flips that thing, it's it's a double plus offering. But sometimes he'll just spin it, and um, it, it doesn't have the sharp 12-6 bite. And then the changeup is obviously a work in progress too. But um, Alex, you're the Manning guy, right? Uh, I would actually say we're both the Manning guys. Actually, uh, I, Brennan kind of won me over on Manning over the course of last year before I even was working with him. Okay. All right. But I'm happy to jump in on Manning. Well, yeah, you called him Thor Light, which I thought was sweet. I, and uh, you said he might he might end up being a 230-pound kid at some point, touching triple digits, which is the first time I've kind of seen that projection, and um, that's exciting. Yeah, I think I, should, I can uh, probably jump into a little bit of my background as well. Uh, I came up as a pitcher. I work as a pitching coach, and I've been scouting the draft, and that's really the niche that I've come in. And when I first saw Manning both in the draft in 2016 and then also uh, coming up last year, my thought was that this was a closer. I, I didn't think he was going to last as a starter, but the most important thing, I think, of any quality that you can have towards being a successful major leaguer is showing the ability to consistently make adjustments. And the adjustments that Matt Manning has made over the last three years are more impressive than anything that he can throw. I mean, and if you look at him, even just from the beginning of last year to the end of last year, it's just night and day. I think Emily Walden has uh, posted a lot of side-by-side videos. And mechanically, he's just gotten so much better, and there's no reason to think that he won't continue to make those jumps. 
He's also going to fill into that frame. He's not going to stay 6'6", 190. He's going to add at least 20 pounds, probably more. And right now he's already sitting up to 97, usually 93 to 95. He's got a great spin rate on his pitch. He's going to add a minimum as he fills out to start holding that velocity longer. The curveball is also already one of the best pitchers in the or pitches in the minors. It's got ridiculous spin rate when it's on. And the changeup has made huge jumps over last year. And towards the end of the year, he played around with the grip a little bit, and it looked like a much better pitch. And if he can even throw a 50 changeup, he's going to be a number two or three starting pitcher. And the upside is still there for more. Also of note, as he's raised levels, he's actually pretty much dropped his walk rate, which is pretty impressive and another great sign. Yeah, definitely. The control is dramatically improved. I, I, the, the command still needs some work, I think. Um, I, I, reference, I reference my buddy Brandon again because he's, he's just a really smart pitching guy, and, and uh, he knows Manning. He, I call him the, the – well, he's the self-proclaimed conductor of the Matt Manning bandwagon. Um, but he tells me that, that Manning actually has a cutter that he throws by accident sometimes, <laughs> and uh, he thinks that – has the potential to be a plus pitch if he were actually to, to work on it and put it in his repertoire. That's pretty interesting. Um, and Waddell, Jason Waddell, who we talked about before the podcast for a minute, he was on uh, Chris Brown and Roger Castillo's podcast last week, and, and he had a really interesting assessment of Matt Manning. And he basically said, we all have that friend who's just – a." A, a better athlete than us who just beats us at everything, no matter what it is, like checkers, darts. Haas would say this is him, but it's not. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah. And, 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 and Waddell said when he watches Manning, he just sees an incredibly athletic delivery that's going to be repeatable, and he's just too good of an athlete not to make it. I don't know. I mean, Waddell's probably the one of the guys that I respect most out there. I still see – a little bit of a clunky delivery from Manning, um, but I, I, I'm not I'm not the trained eye that, that he is or that you are with your pitching expertise, Alex. I just I'm not ready yet. I want to I want to see Manning with three months against Double A hitters who really know what they're doing, and he's not just going to be able to hammer heat by them. Brendan, I don't know what do you, what do you think about that? My 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 still being overly cautious on Manning. Ah. Uh. With a history of Detroit Tigers prospects, especially pitchers, it seems like. That's that's no reason not to have that tail. I'm a huge Manning guy. I mean, before me and Alex even joined Baseball Farm, I think me and him got into a Reddit conversation about Manning. And I want him. I slowly won him over on him. <laughs> like, he's just such a good athlete. I, I see what you mean, like, with the delivery, but if you – the delivery, he's just so athletic. It looks – it looks odd to, like – maybe to someone who didn't pitch a lot or anything like that. But when you watch him repeat that delivery over and over, the, abil- the ability to do that and the ability of things he could do with his body and sink and seek with it, it's incredible. It really is. And the fact that his K, his, uh, K rates haven't dropped at all as he's advanced is absolutely tremendous. I mean, he's still a little bit of a thrower, and the changeup still needs work. And the curveball still needs refinement, just getting more consistent with it. But, I mean, all the tools are there. I, I think I said this in my write-up. I think he has a higher ceiling than Mize does. I think that Mize might be crazy, but from the ability that he's shown to make adjustments, the pure stuff, the athleticism, I mean, the sky is the limit for Manning. I, 
Juicy, you you mentioned uh, the the word you used in in all caps was massive mechanical advances. What um, of those mechanical changes and advances, uh, you know, what what do you think was most important, and how do you think that relates to his you know ability to keep the, the K rate up and and uh, what do you think in terms of mechanical advances going forward are most important? So. When I was saying that, I was actually referring to a couple things with his actual throwing motion. But I think the most important mechanical change he made was his grip on his changeup. For me, watching him, when I first was watching him, I saw maybe a ceiling of a 40 on the changeup. And I got up to maybe a 45 midway through the year. But it's starting to look like he can be a 50 pitch right now with his new grip. And if that's something he can continue to approve on, I mean, if he has that third pitch to hold off lefties, and if he can learn to sequence with it, I think that that's just going to make him special. I think that when you've got two pitches with the spin rates and power that he throws them, if you just add an even adequate changeup, it makes his potential so much higher. So I actually think I would go with the change of the grip that he's. I still think he's still tinkering with right now. But the change of the grip on the changeup is, I think, what I would go with there. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, I guess you know what, what what maybe some people see as an athletic delivery to me looked like a basketball player trying to play baseball, and that, so I guess I'm splitting hairs. I agree that it's an athletic delivery. I just didn't I didn't think it was as smooth as maybe you or you guys or, or Waddell thought it was or Brandon did, does. Um, but but you guys are much more seasoned evaluators and pitchers than I am. So um, I, I just I, I'm really excited to see him um, in Erie this season. I think after like ten starts in Erie, we'll, we'll really know. Like, all right, th- this kid's got a, a twenty twenty ETA, and uh, I, and I agree that I, I think if he puts it all together, he's got a higher ceiling than Mize. He's got, you know, top end stuff that I think has a chance to be more Verlander esque than what Mize has, um, but a little bit more refinement to go for him than with Mize, obviously. Um, I want to shift gears to number 16. We'll drop way down to number 16 on your top 20 list. And I, and I also want to point out that you guys kind of do this from a fantasy perspective, which is a little different from the evaluations that I do. Um, but number 16, and a guy from the Pacific Northwest up in your territory, Juicy, Tarek Skubal, your boy. Yes, sir. Let's talk about He him. is my boy. He's, uh, he's an under-the-radar guy that even people who follow the Tigers minor leagues closely – probably don't know a whole lot about. Um, when I, I, I collaborated with Chris Brown sometime in the late summer, and we did a little exercise trying to project the Tigers' 2021 25-man roster. And Scoobles, my guy, I had him in there, but I had him in there as a, a sort of a late-inning lefty stopper type. And uh, you see him more as a, as a starter. So just so I'd love to hear your assessment of him and what you've seen out of him. Yeah, so when Brennan won me over on Matt Manning over the course of last year, uh, Tar Scoogle was someone I was able to win Brennan over on, I believe. I'll let him talk a little about that. But I'm a huge fan of Scoogle. Uh, he played at Seattle University just down the street from me. So I've got a chance to look at a lot of his starts in person in college. And uh, basically, he's a guy that was well on my radar, mainly because I followed the draft so closely. And uh, coming into 2017 and through the first few starts of 2017, 
he was the guy that was getting some kind of talk as a uh, competitive round or even late first round pick. And he can throw from the left-hand side up to 97 miles an hour, usually living in the 92 to 95 range. And uh, through his first eight starts in 2017, he was just killing it. Six and one with a 2.11 ERA, 50 Ks in just 42 innings through eight starts. He was going at least five innings to start. And uh, then he had elbow issues. Tommy John came back in 2018, and the command was just gone. The velocity wasn't quite there. And uh, he ended up falling to the ninth round, where he signed uh, pretty well above slot, $350,000. But a uh, pretty good deal for someone that was considered to be a round one pick at this point in 2017. He's got a starter frame. He's 6'3", 220. Uh, thrown from the left-hand side. And for my money, he's the best lefty in the system. Uh, he's back up, throwing 95-97 in his short stints that he had last year. Uh, the curve is at least on a bit more command than it was. Uh, still not quite where it was in 2017, but it's looking a lot better. The changeup's looking a lot better as well. I mean, it's still not quite fully there, but he was absolutely dominant. 13.3 K rate, going up three levels in uh, his 22 innings that he got after being drafted. And uh, he was getting stretched out, thrown a little bit further, I think going up to about two innings and outing. Uh, as he raced through the system, he made it up all the way to full season A ball. Yeah, I think he's got he's got a chance to be a quick riser, uh, Brendan. What, Brendan, what was it that Alex told you that that sold you on Scooble? <laughs> well, he brought him up to me. I he was on my radar a little bit when we were starting this, just because the the numbers were ridiculous, as Juicy mentioned. Uh, but I saw some other stuff. I saw the Tommy John from college. I was kind of like, okay. And then I watched some college tape on him, and the delivery from his college tape was was really high effort. I was a little worried. He looked like a reliever to me. And then I finally watched him game tape after he uh, got drafted. And I got really sold on him because the, the delivery got really toned down. It's not nearly as high effort as it used to be. Uh, so it's really repeatable now. And it, he he maintained all his stuff. He's still throwing mid-90s with the, uh, the great off-speed stuff. I, I got sold pretty quickly on him as soon as I started watching tape. And there's still a decent chance he stays a reliever, but I think with the fact the Tigers are kind of stretching him out as his appearances kind of went on, because towards the end there, it was all three innings or two inning stints. So I think this next year, 2019, will be interesting to see what they do with him. I think they should try him out as a starter, because I don't see any other lefties in this system that could really be a starter for the Tigers at this moment. So they could really use a lefty arm that's already in the system right now. Yeah, it's, it seems to be the, the Tigers' M.O. is to let most of these guys go as starters until they prove that they can't. Um, hopefully, Greg Soto, they'll finally take the plunge with him and move him to the bullpen, try to simplify his assortment. He's, he's not getting any younger and uh, continues to have just serious issues with consistency and control. Um, and who does that leave, right? Matt Hall, who uh, is essentially a one-pitch pitcher. I think he's the type of guy who can maybe have some success going through the league one time, but uh, without supreme command of his other two pitches, um, I think he's going to get batted around pretty badly. And then um, Adam Wolf, who's the other, I guess the other, the only other lefty in our system, <laughs> is uh, he's miles away and. and 
probably projects as a as a back end of the rotation type piece, long reliever type piece, maybe like a Blaine Hardy type down the road. But uh, yeah, we we need Scooble or we need someone like Scooble. So uh, I was pleased to see your evaluation of him with a with a mid rotation ceiling, uh, high leverage relief pitcher expectation, uh, understanding that there's some high risk there. So uh, definitely excited about him. Um, We'll touch on a couple position players pretty quick because then I want to get into sort of your, your targets for the Tigers in the upcoming draft in June. But uh, we tried to get Parker Meadows on the call, and uh, he didn't get back to me. So we got to wear him down a little bit and uh, eventually get him on the show. But uh, Alex, the two guys I really want to talk about from a position player standpoint are, are Meadows and Wenzel Perez. So pick which one you want to talk about and let's run with it. Parker Meadows. Okay, he's yours. All right. So, Parker Meadows, uh, basically just a guy that I think has the ceiling to be just an absolute star player. He's going to be risky. There's going to be some holes in his game, at least starting off. But he just shows me a lot of things that make me think that he could be a true impact all-star level player, which is not something I can say about too many other hitters in this. So I'll kind of dive into that. Um, at the moment, he's running anywhere from a 70-grade uh, speed. I am close to a 60 right now. He's 6'5", 190, and he's still a teenager. So I think it'll probably fill out a little bit, and we'll see that, that speed kind of come down. But he's still going to be fast. And he's one of the few six foot five guys that I can genuinely see playing center field, at least his first few years in the pros. Uh, he throws already. I've seen him in uh, actually in the high school circuit throwing uh, over 90 miles an hour from right field. And one thing that really encouraged me that I saw last year, because he wasn't necessarily known as a massive power guy at this point, at least not until he filled out, is that he has hit some absolute monster home runs in his small sample size. And it just shows you that he's going to have genuine power when he starts to fill that out. Uh, he hits for incredibly low ground ball rates as well, which makes me think he's going to be able to get to that power. He's been below 40% ground ball rate at both levels he's been at, and I think he could really be a five-tool player when he gets there. Uh, I have a bit of concerns about him. He's been pretty extreme pull rate, over 50% pull on the year and as high as 67.4% in rookie ball. He's going to slow down a little bit. He needs to add a little bit of weight. And uh, he's been a bit high K and low walk rate, which is somewhat to be expected for a high school player jumping into the pros. And he had a little bit of a high bat, batting average on balls in play, which is going to happen when he's pulling the ball that much and defenses aren't quite used to it yet. There's no shift, and he's hitting the ball hard with great speed. But he just seems like a guy where if he can pull it together, he's going to just be a star player that, will steal some bases, play center field, and hit for a ton of power. And he also has a pedigree with his brother, Austin. Yeah, I was beyond pleased with the way he handled things down in Old League. Um, there's a lot to be excited about Meadows. I was, I was talking with her a little bit because she's got him projected to start hitting the plane. Um, but I, I don't expect the Tigers to be overly conservative with him. Um, I, you know, I, he can play in the Midwest League right now, and he, he maybe be one of the – of the better players in that league. Uh, he must have struggles. We got some swing and miss. Talk about the long swing, but uh, we talk about athletically, man. That kid, that kid, he's gonna do some damage. He's done some damage that. 
I expect him to spend more time at West Michigan this year than he does at Connecticut, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right, Brendan, that means you get Wenzel. All right. Um, first off, I can't tell you how refreshing it is that Tigers actually drafted a player like Meadows. I'll definitely tap it to first before I go on to Wenzel. No, no, that's a, that's a great point. I, I, I recently did an evaluation of, like, the last four drafts, and um, – when you look at when you look at the 2017 draft, it, it might go down as one of the worst drafts in baseball history. Um, it, it, with Rivera looking like a long shot, <laughs> second round pick, with with Joey Morgan, who had an absolutely disaster in the Midwest League. So we, we take a, a college catcher in the third round um, out of UW, and um, he, he can't hit Midwest League pitch. He's a big guy. He couldn't throw the ball second base. Um, so he who he had a modest ceiling of backup catcher to begin with, and now he looks like a guy who might not even be org fodder. Uh, so yeah, yeah. When when you see them taking these these high risk athletes even a little bit later in the draft in 2018 in Meadows, yeah, it, we're we're all really excited. But uh, yeah, Wenzel Perez is another one too, right? Uh, burst on the scene. Uh, Jumped multiple levels last year, and got a lot of Tigers thinking he might be our shortstop of the future. So, what do you got on him? I definitely think he's the uh, shortstop of the future for the Tigers. I mean, when you watch him defensively, he's real smooth there, quick twitch athlete, just play just such a natural fit at shortstop. Wetzel Perez is another example of the Tigers dipping into the international market a little bit more, and it's really exciting to see one of these guys start to make some start to make some noise. There's a couple guys they signed this past year I think are also going to be pretty exciting. And Wenzel just kind of kept hitting. Kept hitting. Uh, real short swing. There probably won't be much power there. I think he, I think he's going to fill out enough where he's hitting double-digit power, maybe 15 at a, at a maximum. Hard to expect much more than that. But, I mean, the majors now, you know, smaller, smaller guys maximize their power. So if he learns to turn on the inside fastball enough, who knows, but Comerica's not exactly an easy home run park, so hard. once again, hard to imagine that. And once again, he, and he has good speech. He steals some bases. And something I kind of noted on my take for him is he'll probably be a better real-life player than fantasy. Like I said, like you've mentioned, we have more of a fantasy slam for stuff. And I'm sure he's going to hit for enough power speed to be a – a stud 50 option for a lot of guys, but he should be a solid guy, kind of like how uh, oh, Andrelton Simmons is for the Angels. He's a real steady kind of fancy guy a lot of people kind of take as their shortstop late in drafts. He's just kind of a steady guy who hits a little bit, has a little bit of power, steals a little bit of bases. Probably not too, not quite the defender that Simmons is probably going to be, but Wenzel Perez is going to be the shortstop of the future for sure. Might not be until 2022, 2023. He has a little bit of ways to go development-wise, but I really like this kid. Yeah, I think I think his offensive profile is like everything we wish Sergio Alcantara was, right? Um, if we could and, – and Brandon, again, started, sort of talked about all of our shortstop prospects. If we could just merge them into one. You take Paredes and Castro and, and Alcantara and just merge that. You've got, you've got an elite – First division up for years to come, but they're all kind of missing something. And uh, Wenzel's kind of our our next hope back there. That uh, and I think there are some concerns about his pop. Is he going to have enough pop? It looks to me like he'll at least have gap power. 
Um, I, I do see him able to turn on inside fastballs right now. Let's, let's, but as it fills out, let's see if he can get some lift, get some loft, uh, some elevation. Um, but put that on the ball at an elite level for an 18-year-old in the, in the Midwest League, and uh, I think he's a pretty slick shortstop. Um, I th- yeah, I, I mean, I think he can play the position. He'll definitely stick. So, uh, so I, I didn't have this on the agenda, but you mentioned some uh, some other international targets that the, the Tigers have gone after recently that you kind of like, and I think that's something a lot of Tigers fans are frustrated about in years past. We, we've not had a lot of success in the international market. But some of these guys, those of us who follow really closely, you know they're, they're waiting in the wings there. Who are the guys you've got your eyes on? So a couple international guys that we had in our top 20 was a guy who actually made our top 20 here was Alvaro Gonzalez. He was a 2017 J2 signing. Uh, really great bat speed. Has a lot more power than you expect out of a kid his size. I mean, he's six foot, 165 pounds reportedly right now. And I saw I saw some batting practice. Job. He was he was hitting the ball hard. Um, He's a pretty good athlete with good hands and stuff like that, but he really struggled in his professional debut at shortstop. He made 23 errors is what I have, I have noted down in my read-up here. Um, and overall, he, had, he didn't have a great debut numbers-wise, but I did like seeing the 12% walk rate and only striking out 80% of the time. So that's, that's a big thing I've heard a lot of these young, these young international guys is their kind of place of play their approach. Are they striking out a lot of at least taking some walks? These are the guys I usually kind of I, – I like to look at. And nope. Yep, a- absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's a key indicator of, of pitch recognition. Um, and one of the things that I try to get to up on is errors, particularly in the lowest levels of the minors, particularly in the Dominican League, because I don't know what fields these guys are playing on either. Um, yeah. But but the, the tough thing is we don't have any video on these guys to really evaluate the tools, um, and and I think I think Victor had like forty seven thousand errors his his first season in pro ball something like that. So long story short, I'm excited to get a guy like Gonzalez stateside so we can at least get some get some looks at him. Um, but yeah, look the offensive output. Yeah, it, it looks like there might be something there. Was there was there anybody else you wanted to touch on? Yeah, yeah there was. I'll let Alex take this one. Okay, a guy that I liked a lot uh, from this year's class actually is Jose De La Cruz, uh, a right fielder from the Dominican, who uh, looks like he might be a bit of a swing and miss guy. That's a bit of a concern, but uh, maybe some of the best power in the class and uh, as a cannon in right field. I, I really like the tape that I saw on him just for projecting out for someone that can be an impact player. These guys are so far away that you're not going to really know for sure what they're going to be, and they're all going to struggle a little bit off the bat for the most part unless they're a Wander Franco type player. But if you look at ceiling, I would say, of any of the guys in the last two years, of a guy who could be a 25 to 30 home run right with on the line. Sign me up. I'll take it. Awesome. Um, good stuff, guys. Really appreciate it. And I know you guys have been – I don't know how many you've done, but you, you do your, you do mock drafts, right? So looking at 2019, Major League Baseball amateur draft, Tigers have the fifth overall pick. 
So we're starting to take a look. All right, who, who might be some of the guys the Tigers are going to target with that fifth pick? Who's going to be available? And um, I know you kind of tweaked this. We're getting close to amateur season starting up, college ball, a lot of showcases going on with the high schools. So let's take a quick run through some of the guys you think the Tigers might be targeting. All right. Yeah, I do mock drafts, uh, which if you want to check out, is going to be on baseballfarm.com or if you Google 2019 MLB mock draft, should be in stuff. Uh, I have in my second I'm working up on right now is actually a guy that I had going number one overall in my variation, and that is going to be Riley Green, who is an outfielder from the Florida prep ranks. Uh, for my money, he is by far the top high school outfielder and maybe even the top player in the whole draft. He has a chin and arm in right field, start up to 98 miles an hour, almost triple digits as a 17-year-old. Uh, pretty much universally, scouts give him a 60-hit tool. I'm right there with that. Got plus raw power. And the one thing that I differ from on a lot of people is that he has plus plus speed. If you look at his uh, 10 split times and his 60 times, they're both 60 to 70 grade, whereas I've seen him a lot in 45 to 40. And I think that he's going to be an absolute stud and makes a lot of sense as kind of a cornerstone player uh, offensively for your franchise. Um, my first variation, I had Daniel Espino, who is a uh, George Farm, who I'm actually in pretty good contact with his coaches uh, through and through. And he's throwing over 100 miles an hour right now, uh, the fastest high school pitch ever recorded in any perfect game event, faster than the green was. And he also throws four pitches already right now they're all 50 or above and i think he's by far the best arm in the class and uh has a good chance to be there and then uh some other outside guys that i'm looking at are bobby witt jr which is a man that probably most people will know uh a chance to be a plus plus shortstop almost is a hit tool but he's been a big name in class for quite a while Josh young who's a third baseman from texas tech he's going to be advanced polished college guy who i think you guys have been need for in the system maybe at third base unless paredes shifts over uh, Andrew Vaughn, probably the best pure hitter in the class. He's a undersized right-handed first baseman from Cal, but hit for an 839 slugging percentage last year. Golden Spikes winner. Absolute plus power. Hits for good average. I have to play and try to be your new Miguel Cabrera. Potentially. Say uh, Langoliers, Baylor. Kind of looks like a rich man's version of Jake Rogers. Probably not who I would go with, but a lot of people are kind of tying those two together. Uh, Carter Stewart. Right-hand pitcher, got drafted eighth overall last year, didn't sign under kind of sketchy conditions. His local guy from Detroit. And the last guy, since we touched on with Scooble, uh, that you don't have too much left-hand depth in your system, is going to be Graham Denton, who was the closer for Duke last year, had absolute filthy fastball and probably the best secondary pitch in the class, which is a nasty slider. Hasn't had to use the changeup too much yet. We don't know if he can make it as a starter, but big frame, 6'5", 250. With two absolute nasty pitches and uh, definitely the best left-hander in the class for my money. Oh, man, good stuff. I, I have a lot of questions. Well, I have a couple questions. Um, so in the Bless You Boys' most recent projection, our, our man, Ed Robert Jack, he had uh, a guy in the, out of the Atlanta area, C.J. Abrams, projected. Brendan, have you had a chance to see him in person? No, I haven't, but I'm going to try to this summer, or this spring, I should say. I'm definitely going to try to see him and Espino. Yes, Statesboro, Georgia, I see. Okay. And then um, Riley Green, yeah. Go ahead, Alex. Oh, and I was just going to pop in. I, I have actually had a chance to see C.J. Abrams play live. 
And I think for me, there's shortstops in this class, Whip and Abrams are in a neck and neck for the top player. But I think the profile of Abrams is so similar to a slightly Richmond's version of Wencio Perez. He's much faster and he's got a bit better bat speed, no doubt about that. But I think he's probably too similar to where it wouldn't necessarily make most sense to me. And the upside isn't quite there for a guy that's going to be about five years away for a team hoping to compete in 2021. Okay. Good insight. Yeah, Haas, we, we're, we're going to be down in amateur ranks a lot more this year, so this is a good kickstart for us. Um, and, and Riley Green, I, I clicked on the Baseball America link for him, and there's just a beautiful picture of his swing, like right at the apex. And uh, you can tell that kid can hit just by looking at one photo. Um, but as far as hitting prospects go, like, would, would you say he's a better hitting prospect than, say, Klenick? Cool. I really like Klenick. I think he's definitely safer. I mean, Clinic was a cold, club state guy. It's a little trickier to get as much tape on him. But, yeah, I, I think I would have to say he's a better player. And I'd say that I'm a Mariners fan, and I'm very high in Clinic. I have him as a top 25 prospect in my updated top 100. But I really think Riley Green's special. Clinic doesn't have the same arm strength. I mean, Green is going to be throwing probably close to 100 miles an hour out of right field already this year, not even out of high school yet. And he's got the most advanced bat, not more power than Clinic has in his ceiling. So, and he's also coming from Florida. He's been tested pretty much against the best prep ceilings have to offer. So I, I don't think there's anyone in this class, including Witt Jr., that has the same offensive ceiling that Green has personally. Wow. Um, and the other guy that really interests me is the catcher from Baylor, Shea Langoliers, because I wrote a, I wrote a piece today, um, it's not out yet, but I'm actually doing – position-by-position position organizational breakdown, just kind of starting at the major leagues and then evaluating who's who's knocking on the door and then, you know, who, who do we have coming up in the lower levels um, in the years to come. And the catcher position is an area of major concern for the Tigers. Um, they're they're going to hand the reins over to Grayson Griner this year, probably some type of platoon with John Hicks. They signed a couple of veterans, uh, Hector Sanchez and Bobby Wilson, who could serve as the third catcher. Um, and then they've basically said they're going to start Jake Rogers off the Erie. I don't expect him to stay there very long. But beyond Jake Rogers, there is nothing in the upper levels of the minors that's anywhere close to being major league ready. We talked about Joey Morgan. Um, after after Joey Morgan, there's nothing but org fodder until you get down to, like, Grace Juan Silverio and Eliezer Alfonso. Possibly. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, like, GCL New York Penn League level right now. I mean – uh, you're talking like 5'10", 165, tons of tons of growth left to do in their bodies before we're even talking about them as serious prospects. And uh, the Tigers have all their eggs in Jake Rogers' basket right now, which I'm fine with because Jake Rogers can play every day in the major leagues right now, and 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 he'll be he'll put up positive WAR. Um, but if Jake Rogers, for whatever reason, doesn't pan out, doesn't hit at James McKinn level, because that's really all we need Rodgers to do is be an equal offensive performer to James McCann because his defense makes up for it so much. But if he can't, but if he's hitting 196 over the, for for an entire season with a 268 on base percentage and striking out 35 percent of the time, which is a possibility with Jake Rodgers, then this organization's in a world hurt. So uh Langler's he's he's a guy I don't know if I'm saying that name right but but he's a guy when I saw him on your list I really wanted to get into a little bit more 
Yeah. So uh, a lot of people are making that connection. For me, I, I think that he's just very similar to Jake Rogers as a player. And I think that the class, particularly in the high school ranks, is just fantastic at that position. And at five, there's just so much talent on the board that unless you can sign him to a low slot deal, he's just not who I'd go with. I think he's going to hit for power. I think he's going to be a fantastic framer, call games, and he's got a cannon behind the plate. But I think so does Jake Rogers, and I think that he's going to have the same average concerns, and he's going to be a high strike rate guy. Uh, looking at his stats, one thing I like to look for in a uh, college player, particularly one playing in a non-pitcher-dominated division like he is at Hayes, is I want to see more walks to strikeouts. And instead, what I'm seeing is a close to 20% strikeout rate with a 250 average. And watching his tape, I do see some holes in his swing, and I see a little bit of trouble, particularly with off-speed stuff. And I just don't think I would take him to five. And I don't think he's necessarily so much of a need when there's a lot of talent that's going to be available in the second round when so much talent is available to go overall for you. Okay, Riley, Riley Green it is. I'm sold. <laughs> uh, I think we had some listener questions come in over on Facebook. Do you got those queued up for us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, before before I get into that, I, well, we have guys. I wouldn't mind uh, getting their take on, um, you know, deep. how much merit do you put into the Tigers compromise over Bark last year? Uh, maybe thinking that Rutschman and Langoliers are likely going to be available because of the rebuild they're going through. They're not really going to compete. They didn't compete. They're, they knew that these two guys are going to be top ten prospects uh, almost on every list. Do you guys feel like there was a little of that? I mean, I know uh, for for you guys, you felt like Mize was obviously the obvious choice there, but a lot of people kind of felt like Bart might be a, a good choice for him. Do you feel like maybe these two guys – uh, helped make Mize a, an automatic choice over Bart for the time? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think they were doing their due diligence on Bart, and I think that he was one of the more advanced prospects in the draft and made some sense, but I think it was more doing due diligence on Mize's arm, making sure that there wasn't going to be more form service issues, making sure a slight velocity drop off towards the end of the year. And he's got some other players, too. I know they were taking looks at Kalenic, uh, for example, first overall, and I believe also Cole Wynn, if I remember correctly. So I think they were doing more of a due diligence. I, I do think that there might be some merit to the fact that this is going to be one of the best, better catcher classes overall. I think if Rushman somehow falls to them, absolutely snap decision. You have to take him at five. There's no doubt about that. But I think Langoliers being available – it's possible. It's possible. He lost a bit of his stock when he went to the Cape and struck out at a 24% rate and didn't hit for average there. But I think that it just came down to doing due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, Keenan, uh, get into uh, some of the questions you got on Facebook. Um, you know, John William was, was uh, had an interesting question about, you know, what you see the projected lineup uh, to be when a lot of these uh, prospects that are a couple years away uh, get get the call finally, and uh, what do you what do you really see down the line for you know the guys that are in the pipeline finally be seeing time in Detroit? What's the lineup looking like? 
that's a complicated question. Um, we could probably spend an entire episode on it. Right. But we, right. We, we can hustle through it real quick. Let's let's come up with nine guys that we see in 2020 and uh, put them in order. So we got we all agree that Rodgers will be catching. Who's our first baseman in 2020, Brendan? Oh, that's... Uh, that's, that's, pro- that's maybe the hardest position on the diamond. It really depends on a lot of things, whether or not Cabrera is still playing there. He'll probably be a, nearly a full-time DH by that point, hopefully. Right. Um, Candelario could move over there. Well, Christian Stewart, Stewart could play there. I mean, there's a lot of different options at first base. There's no prospects from the first base standpoint that can come up and take that spot. It'll probably be a combination of Stewart, Candelario, and Cabrera, possibly. All right, so we'll pencil all three of them in. So Cabrera, DH, Candelario, are going to be in the lineup one way or the other. One way or the other. Second base, another tough position. We could say Paredes second base in 2020, or is he going to be third base? I think Paredes is a better fit at third, personally. Maybe Willie Castro at second. All right, so we're going to put Paredes at third, Castro at second. That leaves a shortstop vacancy yet again. And what, this is 2021? 2020, 2021. I mean, it's a little early for Perez. Castro. Yeah, Willie Castro would probably play short then. Willie Castro at short, so we have a gap time between Nico. Um, Could be Cody Clemens is somewhere in there. Not in 2020. Uh, He's a college guy. He, He should advance pretty quickly. He could be up by 2020. Well, all right. All right. Let's say for the sake of this exercise, I'll be playing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Nico could make it there, though. That's not impossible. I, I've, got right. some, I've got some Broth Deathridge-esque concerns with Clemens. I, I, don't, I don't think he's as close as, as maybe a lot of people want him to be. Um, yeah. So we all figure Haz will be in the outfield. Yep. I've got Stewart at left. Who's my other two outfielders? Daz and Jacoby? Jacoby, Robson. That's probably Robson like comes to mind for me as well. I'll give you a Jacoby Robson platoon. Yeah. Maybe if Death <laughs> Ridge learns how to actually like hit consistently, he could be up there. I know you're not a big Death Ridge guy, but he has the tools. But there is a lot of question marks with Death Ridge. He was only included in our top 20 just because the speed power profile was there. But there are a lot of question marks. Okay. So we got nine guys. Rogers, Cabrera, Candelario, Stewart, Paredes, Castro, Clemens, Daz, and our Jacoby Robson platoon. Daz, a true leadoff hitter? I like him there. Yeah. Candelario in the two-hole? Yep. Cabrera, three. Can't move him yet. Hopefully he's not dead by then. You put Paredes at cleanup or Stewart? Stewart. Yeah, Stewart. All right, we'll put Stewart at cleanup. I'm going to put Paredes in the five-hole then. And then um, I might have to work from the bottom up. Castro at nine. Rogers at eight. <laughs> yep. Clemens at seven. And that leaves the platoon? That leaves Jacoby and Robson. Oh, so, Jesus. Uh, it's a mess. It's a mess. That's, uh, and that's assuming Castellanos doesn't stay. Correct, correct. Yeah, so we answered the question. It's a fun exercise to do from time to time. <laughs> uh, so the next one was uh, 
was really a question for Brendan and Juicy again, wondering about why there's no Cole Peterson love. <laughs> well, I can kind of answer that for them. <laughs> and it's because they're well. There's a couple reasons. First and foremost, they're fan, they're they're fantasy focused. And Cole right. Peterson, Cole, Cole Peterson. Even if Cole Peterson makes it to the major league someday, it's going to be in a utility capacity, and he's not going to have significant fantasy value. I love Cole Peterson. He's a great baseball player, and he's probably an org guy. But uh, there's there's that's not a top twenty fantasy prospect in the Tigers organization on any planet. Do, do, do you want to expand upon that, Brendan? Do you need to expand upon that? Uh, to be honest, he really didn't even come up on the radar. I, yeah. I know the name. I know a couple little things about him, but he didn't really come up on the radar when I was compiling this top 20 list, and that's coming from a big Tigers fan, to be honest. Yeah, and if you're in a league where you're above the average age of the player in that league, I think i got to expect more than a 672 OPS in that league with a 35% caught stealing rate. Look, there you go. He's he's a good baseball player. You know, he he's kind of like this fiery game. Loves to dives all over the field kind of guy. He, he's he's a nice guy to have in your organization. Probably not a major leaguer. Certainly not with fantasy value. Okay, the end. Yeah, there you go. So uh, yeah, the last one was from Rick Morris. He was just uh, essentially kind of trying to get at uh, a fantasy aspect on what kind of prospects uh, we, the Tigers could expect for Castellanos in a Castellanos deal. Hmm. That's an interesting one. Yeah. And, and the thing about that is, you know, a year ago, six months ago, our answer to this question would be vastly different than what it is now. But, uh, I don't, you guys had some some insight. You thought the Braves, Dodgers might be players for Castellanos. Like, what would be, what would be, how, how do we, how do we best get value for Nick? Whether you think it's to ride it out and extend him, or if we are to deal him, or just make him a qualifying offer and take a comp pick. Like, what what do you think is the best possible return we can get for Nick Castellanos? It's so it's so tough just because Castellanos doesn't offer any defensive value. Like he's just a poor fielder all across the field. So that really takes out most NL teams, which is funny as we mentioned the Dodgers and the Braves as potential fits. It just it makes it real tough. I mean, we saw what the Tigers do with JD Martinez get absolutely nothing. There was there was no suitors for him in the deadline. When was that? Twenty seventeen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2017, and my hope is we can do a little better than that, but he's, Castellanos only has a year left on the deal, I believe. I mean, at best, you might get a fringe 100 guy, top 100 guy, and maybe a lottery ticket or two. I think the best thing you could do for Castellanos, I think we talked about this earlier, is to pair him with a pitching prospect or a major league pitcher or something like that to try and maximize return. Honestly, I think just waiting for a cop pick might be a best-case scenario right now. For I have a slightly different take on that. I, I think that the Dodgers are a pretty good match for him, and I think that they're a pretty good match for your system as well. Um, I would say trying to pair him for a fringe top 100 prospect and maybe two guys that are maybe a bit older, might have to go on the 40-man soon, but have some upside in them uh, would be a pretty good fit. And I can put together... 
I jotted one down, maybe a type of package you might be able to get that I think might be a good get for him, which from the Dodgers would be, for me, they have a ton of catching depth, which you guys have noted earlier on, maybe don't have the most behind Rodgers. So uh, my mock that I got was uh, Will Smith, who's a catcher that's kind of a fringe top 100 prospect, 2016 late first round draft pick, just kind of dominated in double uh, A and then struggled in a small sample size in triple A, but uh, top 10 catcher prospect in the game probably, plays a little third base if that doesn't work out, with some big power in his bat, and then pair that with some guys like maybe a Mitchell White or Yadier Alvarez, guys that still have a chance to make an impact with their arms, but they're going to have to go on the 40-man soon, and I've done enough that the fans in L.A. aren't going to aren't really going to care too much about it. And a guy like Edwin Rios, who's going to be a corner infielder, probably a first base, a uh, decent amount of power, not going to walk a ton, and again, going on the 40-man soon, and maybe they don't have a spot for him, and little package like that that I think that's in your system quite a bit and give you a potential starter behind the plate as well. Good stuff. Yeah, I I talk myself in circles on the Castellanos situation over and over, so I have no idea. This is such a weird market. And my biggest concern at this point is that we we can't find a trade suitor for him. And he, he, he doesn't get a $50 million deal and we don't get the first-round comp pick. Like... <laughs> When I look at what Andrew McCutcheon just got, like I'm not, I'm not certain that that Nick's a fifty million dollar player, um, and that to say that a year ago would have been outrageous, I think. But it's it's a very real possibility he doesn't get a contract that meets first round comp standards. So I'm, I'm concerned. We'll see. It'll work itself out. Gentlemen, oh, one thing when I was talking about Tigers uh, catching depth. I did neglect to mention Sam McMillan, so before everybody's yelling at me, I do know that Sam McMillan still exists, and I do still consider him a prospect, but he hit uh, 158 in Connecticut this year at short season ball, so there's some issues there, and, and high school catchers don't exactly have the greatest track record, so Sam McMillan's a long ways away, so I'll stand by statement that after Jake Rogers, there's there's nothing creeping up the uh, the, the upper levels of the minors. Um, but gentlemen, look, had a great time. Appreciate you guys coming on. We'd love to do this again sometime. Um, for the listeners out there, check out my Facebook page, Detroit Tigers Minor League Tracker. You can follow me on Twitter at Tiger underscore Lifer. Follow me on Instagram, Detroit Tigers ML Tracker. Um, Tom Haggerty, who takes pictures for Minor League Baseball, has been sharing some albums with me, and, and uh, uh, I've got some really cool pictures out on Instagram if you get a chance to check that out. Also got a Patreon site, so you can check me out, patreon.com slash Tigers Minor League if you want to support my efforts. And then my website, I'm all over the place, tigershangout.com. Uh, put out a pretty cool piece last week about Johnny Valente, who was the Tigers' 21st round pick in the 2018 draft. Uh, really cool story. I like, I like writing those stories about the guys that don't get a lot of fanfare. Uh, it's a big hit with the families and the friends, and you find out, hey, these guys, you get drafted in the 21st round. I mean, he was a beast player there. Uh, you got to be a really good baseball player to make it to the major leagues. So I like I like profiling guys like that. And uh, you can check out my work on Bless You Boys, uh, as always. Uh, baseball Farm, at Baseball Farm. Follow him on Twitter, at Big underscore Gorzy. That's G-O-R-Z-E-Y. That's Brendan's Twitter handle. Uh, we need to get him a new Skype handle. Um, <laughs> and then at Jensen underscore Juicy. That's Alex Jensen over at Baseball Farm. Fellas, it's been a blast. Let's stay in touch.
Thanks for having us on. And big fan of your work. I got to say, when we were doing research on the Detroit system, at least for me, Busty Boys keep them up and fantastic work. Oh, appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. I know you got to get to bed, Brendan. Yeah, early morning. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thanks, Hoss. Have a good one. Thank you.